Good morning. Good afternoon. My name is Brian Nicolason, your host of the Freedom and Wealth podcast. Thank you for joining. Uh, we're going to have, uh, I think, a, a good podcast today, and we'll keep it short as usual so everybody can get on with their day. Uh, we'll do about 15, 20 minutes. But, um, you know, starting with a little bit of a market recap, we had an absolutely horrible week um, across all the markets, uh, especially Friday. Um, we ended April down 8.8% in the S&P 500, 13.26% down in the NASDAQ. Uh, that puts the S&P down 14% for the year. NASDAQ in bear market territory above 20% from its peak. Russell 2000 also in bear market territory. Uh, the Dow Jones down 10% for the year. And just Friday, the S&P 500 was down 3.63%. In one day, NASDAQ down 4.17%. Um, just amazing, amazing market movement. Um, and we are still in the very beginning of this market correction, both in the stock market, the bond market, the housing market. Uh, we are in what I would call the everything bubble. Uh, there was a housing bubble for 08. There was a dot-com bubble for the 2000 crisis. But today, there is an everything bubble. Everything was been increased in price due to massive government spending, money printing, uh, monetary and fiscal policy that have been incredibly easy and, and allowed uh, really just bubbles to be created in everything. And again, that's, that's everything from stocks to bonds to housing to cryptocurrencies. I mean, it has all been expanded to an unsustainable level. And that's why we have inflation today at the highest inflation in American history. We've never had inflation this high. As much as the government wants to tell us it's a 40-year high in inflation, they are lying to you. And uh, that should not be a new thing to anybody, right? Uh, government lies to us pretty much about everything. So um, again, we are definitely in the beginning of this correction. Um, I think what has really spurred this recent sell-off the last week, which has just been a bloodbath for many people, uh, was about nine days ago, um, Jerome Powell was speaking at a roundtable conference, and he uh, talked about the fact that 50 basis points is on the table uh, for the May meeting. And so that kind of finalizes his hawkish pivot, as they're calling it. Um, I wouldn't even call it a hawkish pivot because he's still a dove. Uh, this is a guy that created all this inflation. At least he was the final person to bless the inflation. And now he's the guy that's tasked with fighting the inflation. You know, it, what really just pisses me off about Jerome Powell is he's not doing his job, right? I mean, he was hired to create and uh, create price stability. I mean, that is his job. And he has ignored his job. You know, it's like if I hired somebody, they come to work and they sit at their desk and they don't do what their job was. And you just want to shake them and say, you know, I didn't hire you to do X. You know, I, you have to do this. This is your job. If you don't like your job, go get a new job. Right. Um, and, and if Jerome Powell's listening to this, Jerome Powell, do your job. You have one job. It's to fight inflation. And it's not to sit around and pontificate about whatever you're, you're pontificating about every, every time the Fed meets and what do you do all week, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you are there to create price stability. That is your first mandate. Yes, you, you have to 
um, you know, you have a second mandate. That's not nearly as important as the first, because if you don't do the first mandate, which is controlling prices, not controlling prices, but creating price stability in a free market, then the jobs will be impacted negatively eventually anyway. So you have to do that. And, you know, this is what is so ridiculous to say that the Fed is committed to fighting inflation. If they were committed to fighting inflation, then shouldn't they have they, they have fought it already? I mean, you know, we, there were signs that inflation was getting out of control in fourth quarter last year, right? But they, they didn't do anything about it. In fact, they kept buying assets. They kept printing money. They kept money at 0% interest rates. They had no they had no, uh, no, and no reason, or, or uh, looking for the word here. Um, they were they were never going to fight inflation, right? It, it's they weren't going to do it, and it's very telling, right? I mean, why didn't they do it in the first place, right? Why wouldn't you raise rates fourth quarter last year and start QT fourth quarter last year, even if you're even if you think that the inflation might be transitory? Right, which they now admit that they were wrong, right? And this is going to be the theme of this podcast. Everything they say, they're wrong. But so, oh, inflation is transitory. But you know, on the off chance that you're incorrect with that assessment, if you were the Fed chair and the economy was as healthy as they say it is, right? I mean, the economy is so healthy, it's going to withstand rate hikes, no problem. Well, if that's the case, then why didn't you just take rates? Uh, uh, raise rates and, and, and start QT back in fourth quarter. Take an insurance policy out, right? We'll go ahead and just start the QT program, do a mid-course mid correction, whatever you want to call it. Um, they didn't do that. Why? Because they were fearful about the impacts on the economy fourth quarter, right? So what's the difference today? What makes us think that they're going to be able to raise interest rates today and not you know just drive this economy right off the cliff? And they are lying to you again, just like they lied to you and said that it was transitory and that inflation's not here to stay. It's uh, it's just supply chain issues with COVID. Don't worry about it. And now, now we here we are a year and a half later, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And that is what's going to happen. That's what happens with inflation. Inflation does have a snowball effect. And based on the calculations that we're seeing, this inflation uh, this inflation shock, if you will, even if it's just supply chain shocks, uh, could last two and a half, three years. And that's assuming that they're able to get it under control. So we're, we're going to be dealing with this inflation for a long, long time to come. And the Fed is trying to tell us, hey, we're going to be able to fight this inflation. And again, they are absolutely lying to us. You know, Powell was asked in this conference nine days ago, by one of the reporters, and I'm surprised the reporter even asked it because most of these reporters don't like to ask real questions. But the question was um, something to the effect of, will you continue to tighten monetary policy if the economy slows down materially and inflation is still present, right? I mean, that was a question. And that's the million dollar question. If you're raising rates and you're tightening monetary policy and the economy is slowing, will you continue that process? Will, are you really committed? To fighting inflation. And he can't answer that question, right? Because if he says yes, then, you know, yes, I'm going to fight inflation. Uh, even if the economy is slowing, then the, then the market just falls off the cliff, right? I mean, then, then it's an admission that the Fed doesn't care what happens to the stock market, and they're going to raise rates no matter what. So he can't answer it that way, because the market would literally just crash 20% right off that, that comment. 
Um, and then he can't say no because if he says no and he says, well, yeah, if the economy slows, then I'm going to stop fighting inflation. Right. Then then basically, you know, that's an admission that the Fed is not going to be able to raise interest rates to combat inflation. And that's a destruction of the dollar. And, you know, gold would go ballistic and, and the bond market would crash and and you have a, a, a massive inflationary problem. So he couldn't answer the question. So what do you do? He just ignored it. He actually looked down at his paper and started reading verbatim a, a, pre, a pre-recorded answer to some other question and actually restated the question at the front. He said, you know, so you asked about a soft landing and he just gave some canned response. And, you know, if I was that reporter, I would have said, I didn't ask about a soft landing. I asked you very specifically whether or not you were going to continue to raise interest rates if the economy slows materially. So again, Powell and the rest of the Fed are, they're not doing their job, one, and they're lying to you about it, right? They're, they're not admitting the fact that the economy, either they don't know and they're, they're ignorant or they're lying. And I would guess that they're probably lying because they see the same data that we see, which is saying that consumers are running up credit cards at, at a, a record high and that, that GDP is slowing. So the economy is slowing already. We haven't even raised interest rates. So we're not in a healthy economy. And, and uh, the Fed is not admitting the fact that when they do this tightening schedule, it is going to drive the economy off a cliff because we have an everything bubble, right? And then, and then anyway, um, so inflation really is just getting started. Um, you know, we have China locking down again, so that's going to create more supply chain issues, uh, food shortages, inflation expectations are rising. Um, you know, unemployment's going to start rising. And so there's going to be even less goods out there as companies start to go under. So you're going to see continued inflation, especially over the next six months, 12 months. So these rate hikes that are going to be required to calm this inflation, again, we're at an all-time high. By all records, we're at 17% year-over-year inflation right now. They just have a calculation that tells us, you know, it's, it's 9% to make us feel good about it shouldn't even feel good about 9%, but that's what they want us to do. But anyway, so we have this 17% inflation, this huge, huge issue. And what the Fed is saying, right, and all the economists in their infinite wisdom is that, you know, we're going to get federal funds rates up to 2.5%, 2.75%, whatever they're saying. And they're calling that neutral. Okay, and if we can get rates up to neutral, then then that'll that'll fix the inflation problem, right? Well, first of all, in what world is two and a half percent interest neutral when you have ten percent inflation? That means you're losing seven and a half percent every year. So that's not neutral, right? I mean, neutral would have to be significantly higher than two and a half percent. And where are we now? We're at 025 percent. Okay, the Fed wasn't even able to raise rates up a half a point initially. Again, they should have started this process in 2000, you know, I mean, we argue uh, all types of dates, but you know, they should have started at fourth quarter last year when they saw the inflation in the first place or third quarter last year, uh, but they didn't. And they used the Russia-Ukraine conflict as an excuse to not raise rates um, in the first hike more than just a quarter point and to still buy assets. They're still doing QE, right? So now, uh, they put the half point on the table, 
But again, we're, we're in bear market territory. We're halfway into a recession. The economy already slowed quarter, you know, quarter over quarter, first quarter down 1.4% on GDP. So the economy is already halfway into recession. The stock market, the majority of Americans is already in a bear market, right? Bond markets down 10, 15%. Housing market starting to fall apart as mortgage rates are already over five and a half percent, and inflation's still increasing. So the Fed is in this position where, for them to actually tame this inflation, they're going to have to have in neutral interest rates at five percent, seven percent, maybe eight percent, right? Maybe even higher. Probably actually higher. I'm just being nice. So if that's the case, they're never going to be able to get there, right? I mean, they're not going to be able to get to two and a half percent. By the way, again, we only raised a quarter point. The economy's already fallen off a cliff. The stock market's down 20% off its highs. So what, what happens next? I mean, the Fed maybe goes a half a point. Maybe they go another half a point. I mean, by this point, the stock market's going to be down 30, 35%. You know? and, and by the way, mortgage rates went from 3% to 5.5% on a quarter point rate hike. So if we go up to uh, now two and a half, so basically 10 times where we are now, mortgage rates are going to be what, 7%, 8%? How is the housing market going to handle 7 or 8% mortgage rates, right? It's not. The housing market is going to collapse. There's no way around it. And, and same with the bond market. As inflation expectations continue to rise, the interest rates required by the investors, right? By the by the the lenders of money is going to be significantly greater than where they are now. And so, you know, the bond yields have to spike, mortgage rates have to spike, which pushes extreme pressure on the bond market. And the stock market falls right behind it because the multiples that will be acceptable in a rising interest rate environment are going to continue to be pressed down as earnings continue to be pressed down. And when earnings continue to be pressed down and margins get squeezed, then unemployment increases. As unemployment increases, consumer sentiment, consumer spending goes down further, further reducing earnings and further you know, increasing unemployment and you're in a recession. I mean, this is the inevitability of where we are right now. And we're already there. And you basically just have idiots and liars telling us what they want us to hear. You have the Fed chair who's in charge of this whole situation, who's the, the, the sole responsible person for the problems of this country, the inflation problem. I mean, it's on his back. Jerome Powell is to blame, okay? And he's sitting there saying, you know, the, the economy is strong and we're going to be able to raise interest rates. We're going to be able to fight this inflation. You know, we were wrong. It, was, it, was, it wasn't transitory. We're sorry about that, but we're right now. Right. And you have the same thing coming from the media. Now, I'm a Wall Street Journal reader. I read Wall Street Journal every single day um, and I read basically every article in it. Uh, and I think a lot of the opinion columnists there are very good, um, not biased, not political. I think they do a really good job. So I really do enjoy it. But, you know, there is some and I'm going to call him out because I don't. Uh, yeah, he deserves to be called out. His name is Alan Blinder, and he's a writer for the Wall Street Journal. He wrote an article commentary just the other day. If we get a recession in 2022 or 2023, it'll be a mild one. Now, Alan is absolutely wrong. 
And what he says is so ridiculous. You almost, you almost laugh when you read it. So I'm going to read just a few pieces. So the question is, you know, uh, there's a picture of Paul Volcker on the article and they're talking about, you know, the 1970s and when stagflation caught policymakers by surprise. Um, and then the comment under that is their successors have learned the lesson, right? And so the question is, are we headed for a repeat performance of what happened in the 70s? And then the answer is not quite, quote unquote, not quite. One big difference is that now the Federal Reserve and other central banks understand stagflation much better, right? So now they're so much more educated, right? They understand it so much better than the people that were running the Fed back in the 1970s, right? The, the other part they wrote here, uh, they continue to answer the question. Um, and then, then they write here. And then, by the way, Alan, right, the author of this article, writes here, as a member of Team Transitory, I confess my error. Much more important, however, the Fed made the same mistake and as a result, kept monetary policy too loose for too long. A forgivable error, given the unprecedented events, but an error nonetheless. Well, yes, Alan, you made an error and you shouldn't be writing about economics if you're going to make such a silly, stupid error. And by the way, the chair, the, the Fed, Jerome Powell, should also not be running the Fed, running the money supply in the United States if he can't even figure out that inflation was not transitory, right? Inflation is a result of government spending. And these, these people, again, either they're idiots and they don't know, or they're just lying to you. But Alan seems like he's of the idiot side, right? He doesn't seem to understand how economics works. Now he writes, it's here. Yet this isn't 1973, 1974. For one thing, the macroeconomic starting point is far better. Notwithstanding the first quarter GDP number, the Fed is trying to steer a basically healthy economy. Okay? So this is the commentary coming from the economists, right? From the folks on CNBC, from the Fed chair, right? It's this continued conversation. But again, why are we listening to these people that just two months ago made a giant mistake? And by the way, when he writes, it's a forgivable error. Is it a forgivable error for the people that can't afford groceries, right? That can't afford good groceries, right? Let's, let's put it this way. They're not going to buy the fruit and the vegetables for the young children, okay? Instead, they're going to go to McDonald's and get them a bunch of GMO fried food that's going to potentially just cause massive harm later on in their life, right? So you quite, you, you know, you really, it, is it a forgivable error? And I think it's not, right? And I think everything the, the, the Fed has done to this point is not a forgivable error, okay? And they should be held accountable for this error because I don't know if it's an error. I mean, I truly think they're just, they're just a bunch of liars. So anyway, the Fed is not doing their job. Um, they're going to raise interest rates. They're going to do a half a point. And the economy is going to melt down, right? Not only is the economy, I, I would put it over a 50% chance that Q2, we end up with a negative GDP number and we're officially in a recession because the definition is two quarters of, of GDP contraction. So I would bet over 50% chance the end of Q2, we get the same number, you know, some type of negative number, and we're officially in a recession. By that time, every single stock market index will likely be in bear market territory down 20% from its highs and not going back up, right? And that's what baby boomers have to understand is that what we've lost so far is likely 
Maybe in the short term, you might get a relief rally. Bear markets fall a slope of hope. But in the long term, we're not going back to these highs because the economy is in an everything bubble. It's a bubble that's been expanded for so long and the air is coming out and it's inevitable. And inflation has caught up with us and we're not able to outsource inflation anymore. Okay, it, it's finally here. And it's, it's going to be this risk that we're all going to be facing. And it's going to hurt company valuations for, the long, for a long time to come. So if you're a baby boomer and you're down 15%, you have to seriously contemplate whether or not you're going to take the next 15% down because it is going to happen. Because if they're going to raise interest rates to fight inflation like they say they're going to do, the Fed is going to raise rates substantially. They're going to have to sell a ton of uh, treasuries off the balance sheet flood the market in treasuries, which is just going to create a massive run on treasuries. Uh, and, and people are just going to be selling them left and right. Um, interest rates are going to skyrocket. And the bond market is going to collapse. Stock market is going to collapse right with it. All in this tightening schedule that, again, the Federal Reserve and Mr. Alan Blinder, whatever his name is from Wall Street Journal, say won't affect us, right? They're just going to, they're going to do a, a soft landing, right? So anyway, um, that is my comment for today on inflation. I have two comments on some things going on politically. First, the most absurd, which I'm sure we've all looked at, is the disinformation bureau or whatever they call it. Um, I almost couldn't even read some of these articles because it was such a ridiculous notion that this government is going to start a disinformation bureau to control the Internet. I mean, this is what it's all about. We are at a point now where this makes basically this administration, a dictatorship, right? I mean, that's what they do in Russia. That's what they do in China. They, they control the internet. And this disinformation bureau ran by a millennial, now nothing against millennials, but you know, she, she's, what does she know, right? I mean, she wrote an article that she, that they, she thinks bright art news should be pulled down. Shouldn't be allowed to be on the internet. Now I understand that Breitbart's fairly conservative network right, or, or organization, but they do a lot of reporting and they report on things that are not reported anywhere else. And that is what the free, that is what free speech is about. And if anybody says that Breitbart should not be allowed to report and publish their sources and everything that they do, that person has no business running some type of government agency that's going to control the feed of information to the public. That woman should be nowhere near our government. And the Biden administration should be held accountable for trying to do this. And it's all because Twitter wants to be open source, which is the greatest thing in the world. Yes, make this, make it open source algorithm. Everybody can see exactly how the algorithm works. And that will make Twitter a place where we can have adult conversations Okay, and and have free speech again. And to Elon Musk, and I'm not going to comment on the Tesla. I'll do a, probably a separate podcast on Tesla and Twitter from a stock market perspective, but from a from a freedom perspective, um, I tip my hat to Elon Musk for basically everything he's done. Uh, but you know, especially for this to 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 want to make it open source. That's what social media needs to be. It needs to be open source code, and we all need to be. They're you know, able to see what the algorithm is that feeds the information. So thank you, Elon Musk, for everything that you've done there. 
Um, so anyway, that's the first comment. Second comment is on the student debt uh, forgiveness program that Biden is talking about. I mean, this is just the most blatant way of buying votes. You know, an election, as they say, is a uh, pre-sale on stolen goods. And that's what this is. This is just a sale of stolen goods. He is saying, hey, young, young voters, if you vote for me I, or, or vote for the Dems or whatever he's trying to do, I will forgive your student debt and uh, et cetera. Now, the government doesn't do anything. This is, this is the, they don't create any value. I mean, this is the most ridiculous thing when you, when you have these presidents like Biden standing up and saying to Ukraine, our Congress is going to give you $33 billion. No, no, you're going to steal $33 billion from the people. Or in the form of inflation, you're going to steal them from our future generations, from our kids and from our grandkids. You're stealing $33 billion and you're giving it to the Ukrainian government, right? And if you're going to, if it's going to cost you $100 billion to forgive student loans, that means you're stealing $100 billion worth of tax dollars from either the people today in taxes or the future generation if you're printing the money and causing inflation and reducing their standard of living. So you're going to do one of the two, stealing money and giving it to people. Now, everybody that paid student loans should be pissed, first of all. And by the way, there's plenty of Democrats that, that paid their student loans, so I'm sure they'll, they're not going to be too happy about it. And maybe you pick up a few young voters who just want free stuff, okay? But this is the most blatant, unconstitutional thing. Now, by the way, in the Constitution, it lays out what the Congress can do in a bunch of different things that they could do. But one of them is they are allowed to borrow money on the credit of the United States. Now, nowhere in the Constitution does it say they can loan money, right? So if it's enumerated that the government, the Congress can borrow money, don't you think it would have said that they can loan money, right? I mean, if you're going to say borrow, you might as well say loan if that's what they meant. No, it doesn't say loan because the government's not allowed to loan money. So the government loaning money to students was unconstitutional in the first place, right? Whether that's guaranteeing a bank's loan, which is the same as loaning, or loaning it directly, which eventually they did and they do now. Not only is that unconstitutional, but then to forgive the loans is, is even more unconstitutional. And basically everything the government does today is unconstitutional. I mean, 90% of it, 95% of it probably. So anyway, both of those things are the most absurd things I've ever heard, and they should both be fought tooth and nail. Um, and we'll see what happens there. But again, I, I don't want to go too long, and I know I hit it pretty hard here. So, um, and I know I got a little passionate today about these things because, uh, you know, uh, this is our future, and this is our children, right? And, and this is what our, our government, right? I mean, this Biden administration, the most absurd, ridiculous president and presidential administration I've ever seen and anybody in America should ever see again. I mean, he is just insane and, and completely incompetent. And he's running our country into the ground and Jerome Powell's just riding the, riding the you know, shotgun, you know, and giving them directions. And both of these guys need to be held accountable. So thank you again for joining the Freedom and Wealth podcast. Um, on a better note, it is beautiful weather today here in New York, uh, wherever you are around the country. I hope you have just as good a weather. We're heading into spring. So, um, you know, get out there, 
enjoy the weather, get your hands dirty, grow, you know, plant your gardens. And, um, you know, I hope everybody has a great weekend. If you are a client and you have any questions about the portfolio and how it deals with the risks that we just talked about, always give us a call. If you're not a client yet, go to freedomandwealthusa.com, get a financial plan, um, get a, a tax analysis, get an investment strategy report, investment analysis on your current portfolio. Uh, we'll do all that for free, right? That is a complimentary service we'll do for you. And I encourage you to do that. So thank you, everybody, again, for spending your time with me this morning or this afternoon. And I hope you have a wonderful weekend. God bless. Cheers. The opinions expressed by Brian Nicolaisen and guests on this radio show are their own and do not reflect the opinions of this radio station. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Any strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Before acting on any information mentioned, please consult with a qualified tax or investment advisor to determine if it is suitable for your specific situation. This program is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to subject covered. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, a registered investment advisor. BCM and Nicolaisen Wealth Partners are independent of each other. Insurance products and services are not offered through BCM, but are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed agents.